0: About the the issues here, uh, I would say so. You know, if you look at the chief executive uh, uh, work plan, you know, for the next couple, uh, next decade, right? So, Kerlam actually said that you know he's gonna, uh, she's gonna build a northern territory sort of metropolis, you know, in conjunction with Shenzhen. Uh, I think it's a good initiative, you know, but it lacks details. Um, it has to sort of. You know, come up with a specific target and specific funding, uh, end timeline. uh, You know when and how to execute these. You know ambitious Mm -hmm. plans. Uh, So I would say it's it's good for a change as well. But you know, details is still very scant.
1: How is always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming onto the program this yeah. morning. That's How Hong, managing director and head of research at Bocom International. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A bit of a mixed picture in Asian stock markets this morning. The ASX 200 in Australia up half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down about 0.8%. Similar story for the Cosby in South Korea down 0.7%. And futures markets indicating that the Hang Seng is going to start with a loss of about a third of a percent at the open, starting the day around 26,000. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil a little bit firmer at $85.70 a barrel, and gold is trading at $1,795 an ounce. Thank you for listening. Please do join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talks. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gould and Mike Krause. The weather forecast for today. It's gonna to be fine and dry, maximum temperature around 27 degrees, and then sunny periods in the next few days, 21 degrees right now, 69% relative humidity.
0: 8.31 and a half, here's Barrier Walk with a half-hour news. Liberal Party leader Felix Chung says he hopes the party can retain its four functional constituency seats in the legislature at the upcoming December elections. He told RTHK the current LegCo term, which ends on Wednesday, had a difficult time in their first three years, bogged down by filibustering from opposition lawmakers who eventually resigned en masse or were disqualified. Mr Chung says he hoped the seventh LegCo term next year would be more steady and rejected suggestions that the loss of opposition lawmakers Might not be healthy.
2: Even though, uh, what I believe that from the next from next year, without um, the traditional oppositions, we still have different views and different voices from different pro-establishment parties. So I don't think uh, um, without the what we call the pandemic or the the traditional oppositions, we will not get any other views from uh, the other parties.
0: The chief executive Carrie Lam says she plans to resume work today, a week after she fell and fractured her elbow. Mrs. Lam was discharged from hospital last Tuesday following a fall on the stairs at government house the previous night. Writing on social media, Mrs. Lam said it would take time and physiotherapy for her to fully recover. The mainland's National Health Commission says about three quarters of China's population has now been fully vaccinated against COVID. Robert Kemp has more.
3: Commission spokesperson Mi Feng said nearly 1.07 billion people had now been inoculated and that as of Saturday just over 2.24 billion doses had been administered. The mainland is giving booster shots to adults whose last dose was at least six months earlier. But Huang Huaqing, chief expert for the immunisation programme at the Chinese Centre for Disease Control and Prevention, said people would not be getting booster shots after booster shots as jab numbers were limited.
0: There has been condemnation from inside and outside Israel of the government's move to build more than 1,300 additional homes for Jewish settlers in the occupied West Bank. Tenders have been issued for the construction work, which is seen as the last step before building begins. The Jordanian government says the plan was a violation of international law and UN Security Security Council resolutions. Here's the Palestinians' Prime Minister, Mohammad Shatayi.
4: The
3: world must make Israel pay the price for its aggression against our people, especially this this latest wave of building settlements and settlement units. President Abbas is chairing an emergency meeting of the Palestinian leadership to discuss these developments and to launch an international Palestinian campaign to curb this Israeli aggression against our people.
0: A woman has died after falling through an opening in the floor at a construction site in Chunkwano yesterday. The worker was rushed to hospital where she was certified dead. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
5: Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. Uh, I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On this morning's programme, we have a number of COVID-19 updates uh, to look at for our main topic. Uh, A government advisor on the pandemic has said a proposal to give people both uh, flu and COVID vaccine shots at the same time should boost the inoculation rate and uh, was likely to receive approval from the Department of Health. Experts will also be meeting soon to discuss uh, booster shots and may also consider whether children aged below 12 should receive COVID jabs. Meanwhile, a cruise ship tour from Hong Kong into open waters was uh, cancelled last week after a crew member tested positive for COVID-19. After 9.15, we'll be discussing the ban on sales of e-cigarettes and heated tobacco products. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on two double three double 266. And uh, this morning, uh, we're joined uh, in our studio here in Broadcasting House by uh, Jeff Bent, who's Managing Director of uh, Worldwide Cruise Terminals. So good morning to you. Good morning. And uh, also on the line, we should have uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling, uh, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Okay. Uh, uh, Jeff, perhaps uh, if we can start with you. Um, how significant a development uh, to the cruise industry was that decision last week to uh, suspend the uh, sailing of uh, of the ship spectrum of the seas for 21 days i believe
6: i think it's a minor setback i think first of all we have to realize that this case was classified as a re-positive and that subsequently in hospital the uh, the person again tested negative So this is somebody who um, had 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 the case in in July and uh, recovered, um, was fully vaccinated, did his quarantine, had 10 negative PCR tests and then had one that caught some fragment of virus from somewhere, um, you know, shaken loose inside his body and then tested negative again the following day. So the. the Department of Health has decided this is consistent with a, a quote-unquote repositive. and apparently, um, from the literature that I looked at, a repositive case can occur up to 123 days after someone is, has recovered. But no close contacts that that they've studied have ever um, had COVID transmitted to them from a repositive person. So, so they're. I'm, I'm sure Mr. Cowling can give a much better um, description than I can. But, yeah. but from what I understand, they're extremely, extremely, extremely uh, infinitesimally low right, low risk.
5: Right, right. We'll bring in Ben Cowling in a moment. But uh, so there were a thousand passengers, roughly a thousand passengers, who may have been on the ship at the same time, and uh, they were all told uh, to go and get tested.
6: Yeah. um, That day, there were a thousand passengers who had already boarded the ship and another 200 or so who were at the terminal and told, wait a minute, don't go on board yet. Um, And then after consultation, they decided to um, cancel the cruise. All passengers were disembarked, um, fully refunded. They'll get a free future cruise. And um, the, uh, the crew member was sent off to hospital for a further test and um, passengers were asked, or anybody who'd been on the ship uh, has, were asked to get retested, and all the crew were retested the following day, and none of them uh, had a positive result. So. This is,
3: in a sense, this is quite scary. I don't mean from the point of view of the, of the disease, but from the point of view of the reaction, reaction to it. If you can be re-positive... Again, weeks later, and it's going to cause this kind of disruption
6: yeah, I think um the the lesson here is that uh, ideally the uh, related government departments can have a uh, playbook or contingency plan to outline what will happen in this type of situation, so that nobody is caught by surprise when when it occurs and um that would allow everyone, I think, to act in, in more more logically with less drama on the day.
5: Okay, well, um, Benjamin Cowling, good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, uh, hi. Um, we haven't heard from you for a while uh, on this program, so, so it's uh, good to have you back on. Um, um, so the, the business with the cruise ship, uh, was that a sensible precaution or, or does it sort of come into the realm of uh, overreaction?
4: Seems like a bit of an overreaction to me, given the assessment was made very quickly that this was a repositive case and therefore not a threat uh, to the passengers, to the other crew members and so on. Um, So I I actually agree there should be a playbook for how to respond to uh, either confirmed cases who may be contagious or repositives who will not be, because I don't think repositives would justify getting all the passengers off the ship and also shutting down the ship for 21 days.
5: How common is this uh, repositive business?
4: Uh, not clear because very few places in the world do the kind of testing that we're doing in Hong Kong and also in China, where in mainland China, where you, you, you test people again and again and again. Uh, in Hong Kong, we've picked up quite a lot of repositives, and there's quite a number coming in at the airport as well. Uh, people who come in and they're in quarantine, and then they test positive at some point during quarantine, and it's attributed as, a, as, as an infection that's been successfully picked up. But it's actually not. It's, it's a historical infection, and as as your other guest said, it's just fragments of the virus that shake themselves loose at some point during the recovery process, is, and if, then get get a, a positive result on the PCR test because it's so so sensitive.
5: Is there any evidence of anyone having been infected by a repositive case?
4: No, there's absolutely no evidence. I mean, even someone who's just recently had COVID and is recovering beyond about a week or so after, after their, their symptoms begin, after they begin becoming contagious. After a week or so, they're no longer contagious. Um, and in the past, we've been able to discharge patients fairly quickly without any, any trouble um, in, in Hong Kong. But there's a new guideline I just heard about recently when uh, saying that, that, that we have to keep patients in hospital for 21 days, even if they've recovered after two days.
3: Um, really?
1: Yeah,
3: sorry. I'm, yeah. sorry, sorry to burst in there. I mean, I've been squirming on my seat since the programme started because I, I've now completely lost track. When there's a case, uh, I, everyone in a building, hundreds of people get tested overnight, and in another case, everyone gets shipped off to Penny's Bay uh, for 21 days and I, I can no longer tell them apart.
4: I hope they've stopped the, 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 the policy of taking people to Penny's Bay when someone in the building tests positive because there was never any evidence to suggest that was a good idea. Uh, there's been almost no outbreaks of COVID in residential buildings in Hong Kong, other than, of course, the people that live in the same flat or the the very close friends or relatives. But just random strangers that live in the same building have almost zero chance of getting COVID uh, when there's a case in the building. So that, that never really made sense either. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot of enthusiasm for doing... Uh, doing a lot and being seen to do a lot to keep on top of COVID uh, in Hong Kong, and we're going to have to continue to to do well at keeping the case numbers low because we're, we're in the zero COVID strategy.
3: I mean, yes, uh, the, the zero strategy in in principle seems to have a lot of local support. People are quite happy uh, to wear masks and and so on, or most people are. Um, but is this is this a central balanced reaction?
4: there's a lot of positives to the zero COVID approach. I, I work in a school of public health and we, we love it when there's no diseases around. I mean, I, I'm very happy that there's no COVID in Hong Kong because it means there's no people getting hospitalised, no people dying of COVID. I would also like it if there was no cancer in Hong Kong and no heart disease and no diabetes. And in the school of public health, we're, we're working on strategies to reduce the burden of all of those different diseases. But we also have to recognise that any public health strategy could have costs as well as benefits. And for zero COVID, there's substantial costs. Um, but there's also benefits. And, and of course, I, I recognise there's many, many people who want to see the border with the mainland, the boundary with the mainland reopened because of the advantages that would that would uh, pose for family and for, for business as well. And I hope that's going to happen.
3: Uh, oh, is it realistic for us to have a, a separate policy compared to the mainland?
4: Uh, we have separate policies on lots of things. So I, I've never really understood... the the suggestion that we have to follow the mainland because there's lots and lots of areas where we don't follow the mainland but in terms of zero covid there are a lot of advantages i mean there's no there's no risk of having a a large number of of cases a large number of covid deaths unlike most other parts of the world and that's really a major advantage and having a travel bubble with the mainland would also be a major advantage right. so there's certainly advantages
3: but a lot, of, a lot of people seem to think that, well, because there's no Covid here, I, I won't get vaccinated, which is why our vaccination rate is still uh, very low, relatively yeah, speaking.
4: I, 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 I do have to say that I think this is a, an unrecognised risk of the zero Covid approach, because what it means <laughs> is if, if we're successful in zero Covid for the next year, that's great. We won't have had any Covid. No, no need to worry. No need to worry that the old older people haven't got vaccinated because we... We don't have any COVID anyway, but the risk is if COVID does get in, if we have a fifth wave, if it's very difficult to control, suddenly there's going to be a lot of impact in older adults, in people over the age of 70, over the age of 80, where the vaccine coverage is very, very low. And I really don't want to see that happen. And so I think it's a big risk because, as you mentioned, some of the hesitancy is because at the moment there's no need to get vaccinated when there's no COVID. There's no risk. Then, then maybe it's, it's not so important to get vaccinated. And I don't know how to how to solve that issue. Um, but it, it does put us in a precarious position.
3: Right, because if you remove the fear factor um, by success, so to speak, then... Well,
4: the success is a good thing, though. Right? Yes, exactly. You can't argue against but, uh, success. It's risky, because we, we may not be able to sustain that success.
3: What about the idea of combining the flu shot and either your first vaccination shot or your booster shot?
4: Yeah, now, uh, until very recently, that uh, health experts were recommending that it's not a good idea to put two vaccines at the same time. And that was just out of precaution because there isn't a lot of evidence. But a study has been done now in the United Kingdom. It's going to be published very shortly, showing that it's perfectly fine to give both vaccines at the same time. And then administratively, so administratively, it makes a lot of sense because you've got someone there doing vaccinations. They might as well do two instead of one so that's going to be a policy change not only in hong kong but around the world uh, the reason that they were not recommended together wasn't because there was any indication it was unsafe it was just because there wasn't any evidence and and, and better be a little bit cautious
3: All right so you'd have the you could have your booster in your left arm and your annual flu shot in the right arm
4: yeah i think that's how they'll do it
3: mm-hmm. um uh, jeff fents uh, so these uh, cruises uh, resumed
5: in july right Correct. they, they, they don 't actually go anywhere they go out uh, out into the sea and sail around and come back but uh, it 's a way for people to 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 get away from, uh, get away from Hong Kong get yes. away from uh, dry land. Um, how popular have they been
6: they 've been selling quite well actually, and um, surprisingly, the momentum picked up going into fall you know we We thought that uh, there would be a rush during the summer holidays and then it would get quieter, but actually the opposite was true I think after some people tried it during the summer and told their friends more and more people uh have have been going on them and we took a a survey we we had a survey in august and half of the people on board were first timers new to cruise which is a high wow ratio so um so we're very happy about that we'll be doing a repeat of the survey in uh this month and next, and, and hope to see the same.
3: Because uh, in the past, I think it, it's the repeat customer and with one or two add-ons that's been the driving force for the market.
6: Right. In the past, it, it might have been, you know, 20%, 30% um, new to cruise, but now it's, it's been 50 So that's good for the industry in the long term.
3: And you'll do the next survey when? Uh, it's underway, I should say.
6: All right. Say. Yep.
5: So uh, how many cruises
3: are there usually
5: Uh,
6: you know, per week? Um, Before this suspension, there would be five. So one cruise line would go two nights, two nights, and three nights, three times a week. And the other was generally sailing three nights and four nights or twice a week. So that's actually quite busy for us. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, the ships are only sailing at 50% capacity because of social distancing. So how does that work on board? Yeah, It's... um, basically it means that um they they space out the cabins and in, in some cases they don't uh they they're only um selling cabins uh that have uh fresh air or, sea view or facing, yeah, yeah, yeah sea view um but not necessarily um and it just means that there's um, a lot more space in watching shows it may be some seats are blocked uh it Eating meals, some seats are blocked, so uh, actually it's very spacious and enjoyable. <laughs> so it's it's the best time to take a cruise, actually, because you know you don't have to queue for for things. Yeah. You
5: know. and, and how about entertainment, live music?
6: Yeah, there's um, there's lots of live entertainment available on board the ships. So it's um, yeah, it's it's a quite enjoyable experience. Are the gambling cruises coming back? No, I think those are are a relic of the past. There there used to be, you know, four or five overnight gambling ships and those have been progressively um sold and scrapped or or moved to another continent. So, as of as of today there are none.
3: Cuz I was just thinking with Macau effectively closed off to us, the options for gamblers are pretty restricted.
6: Yep, yep, uh less than less than in the past and uh I think even before then when the when the Juhai Macau bridge opened, that was also kind of the beginning of the end for the overnight gambling ships. It was just too easy to get to Macau. Well, yeah, on if the bus. you've if you've lost all your money at two AM, you can come straight back home and go to bed rather than, <laughs> you know, stay on the seas until <laughs> the next morning.
3: Well, watching all the successful gamblers bragging about their winnings. Yeah, that that's not a good holiday.
5: OK, um, a few um, emails here from uh, listeners. Uh, so James writes, uh, as far as the cation, it's extremely laughable and truly over the top. He's talking about the reaction. Is, is the government aware of the poor messaging this sends? How on earth are you going to get others to go and get vaccinated with this uh, total overreaction, especially when everybody else on board was vaccinated? As for the booster shots, of course, we need them, especially the tech Cominati Cominati, yes That's right, that's the official It's uh, the brand name right. for the that's ones right. in that's right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Since we have uh, so many who have taken Sinovac whose efficacy was still being questioned even before Delta as being relatively low Regina Yip has uh, clearly demonstrated that the antibody levels of Sinovac are very low uh, hence her booster shot Yeah, she She had a Biontech booster. That's right, she's she's triple vaccinated now. Um, We're almost at 70% vaccination first dose, but that's reduced when you consider significant numbers of people who've been vaccinated with Sinovac. And, uh, sorry, add the policy of zero COVID, and you can see that Hong Kong will not be opening any time soon. Unfortunately, yes, very
3: uh, precarious. I calculated that the mainland is not going to... Open at all until after the party conference next year, which is in November.
5: November yeah.
3: So it it yeah, won't November. be the Winter Olympics, I don't mm. think. Mm. Uh, the party conference, with due respect to the Olympics, is probably more important in the mainland, and and uh, uh, that's in November. So we face the whole of 2022, mm. uh, f- vaccinated or not, masked and. Kept here unless you can face the 21 days on return.
5: Well, I mean, we don't know that for sure, Mike, but that is... uh, We do not. That's, you know, uh, know, the opinion of uh, a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay, another email here from David says, uh, what is really going on? Many times over the past year or so, I have heard uh, doctors with big qualifications at big conferences saying that children should not be vaccinated because it may interfere with their productive system. We hear the full tests on different vaccines were uh, not as thorough as they should have been, but still went into production. One minute the vaccine works, next minute it doesn't. Then we have uh, many people like myself that have felt very rough for a long time after the vaccine. Uh, Then uh, we uh, get through to a government doctor or scientist in Hong Kong for extra information. Uh, No, we cannot. 30 or 40 years ago we would all quite happily have vaccinations but now how many of us uh, have uh, many things uh, in our mind and sorry I'm maybe messing this up a bit this it's a bit difficult to read Um, and uh, I stuck in the middle plus uh, there are health issues too good on Hong Kong people wearing masks and washing hands can the government or university design more comfortable masks? Um, <clears throat> uh, Benjamin Cowling, um, so there, there is talk of giving vaccine now to people uh, below the age of 12, from uh, from, from uh, between the ages of 9 and 12, I think. Um, do, do you have any thoughts about that?
4: So in, in the mainland, they're already going down to age 3 with yeah. Sinovac. I think right now they're, they're pushing the age 5 to 11 because they finished 12+. plus. Um, in uh, the rest of the world the biotech vaccine will shortly be available for for younger children down to the age of five and i think in in some countries they will decide to use the vaccine in that age group in hong kong i'm not sure whether we will or not uh it, it, there's a lot of factors at play and when you think about vaccines as your caller mentioned some people can have reactions to them and um for the BioNTech vaccine, particularly the second dose, can create quite a strong reaction in some people. In Hong Kong, unfortunately, after the adolescents, the 12 to 17-year-olds were given their second dose of BioNTech, uh, about one in every 10,000, something like that, were hospitalised with myocarditis. So that's a very low number,
5: is that, but it's, it's not So, so zero. is that the heart? That's it's the not heart, zero. Inf- that's the heart the inflammation the heart of inflammation, the tissue surrounding the heart, uh, yeah. with,
4: which that no, nobody's uh, been very, very seriously ill. Uh, it, it's something that, that you can recover from, but it's also not nice to get to, to have an adolescent in hospital with myocarditis. And remember, the current rules for hospitalisation is that uh, there's no visitors on the wards, I think. or um, well, there, there haven't been anyway. So it's, it's, it's also not a good time to get hospitalised. So we have to recognise that, that for vaccines, there can be risks as well as benefits. And in terms of adolescence in Hong Kong, I think it makes a lot of sense that the government uh, changed the plan a little bit and only give out the first dose. Maybe something similar would happen for younger children. But we do have to be very aware that whereas in most of the world, any very small level of risk would be far outweighed by the benefits of vaccination in preventing COVID and severe COVID, because around the world, even younger children have got COVID, have died from COVID. It's small numbers, but it has happened. Uh, but in Hong Kong, we we don't have COVID, and so that there should there should be a little bit more caution right now about use of vaccines, just because there are risks as well as benefits of vaccination.
3: Uh, what would you do, Professor Cowling, to get the overall vaccination rate up?
4: W- oh, I I think maybe it's the the, the wrong objective right now,
5: uh-huh.
4: because right now we're pursuing the zero COVID strategy, which which isn't really helped all too much by high or low vaccine coverage other than I would say in older adults where we're very vulnerable but the, the expected number of cases in the in the coming 12 months if the government can 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 really control covid is maybe thousands and so whether or not we have a high vaccine coverage is not not going to make a big difference in in how many cases there are and how many severe cases there are and at the same time vaccines have risks as well as benefits so i'm actually right now of the opinion that not not worrying so much about the vaccine coverage other than in older adults but if we're going to change strategy then of course that that's a completely different issue because we know that to return to normal to live with covid we need a high vaccine coverage look at singapore where even with 80 percent, they're still having a lot of cases in the community
3: and how are the hospitals holding up
4: uh, they're worrying a little bit. They're worrying a little bit because the number of severe cases is going up. Most of the severe cases are in unvaccinated individuals, the minority who haven't got vaccinated. But then that can still add up to a big number uh, when, when you add it up and, and when there's a lot of COVID about. So that I think Singapore are, progressi- uh, are proceeding very tentatively. They may even think about bringing back some of their COVID measures. And they haven't relaxed all of them, of course. They're, they're going step by step. So, for us in Hong Kong, I think we'll, we'll keep a very close eye on Singapore and right. see how their reopening plan goes. And, of course, if they have to pull back and go back to zero COVID, then then we'll be looking at them and, and, and thinking that was a good idea not to, not to go <laughs> no, down that sorry. far. But, but if I we are going to open up...
3: I, I don't think they'll turn back. Right. If we, got, if we are going to open up, we really got to get the older people vaccinated.
4: Well, we have, but if we get the older people vaccinated today, if we get them vaccinated this month and next month, and we're sitting pretty with 80% coverage in older adults, and then we don't open up, then what was the what was the point in expending all the energy to do it? Because in six months' time, that immunity is going to have waned, as we've seen around the world, and they're going to need third doses. And then if we wait another six months after that until the end of next year, uh, as you mentioned, then maybe they'll need fourth doses. And so why don't we just wait until next summer and do it and, and save all the trouble and, and the expense, right? But, but for older adults, I, I would be clear that that we're very vulnerable right now if the government is unable to control a COVID outbreak that, that happens in the coming months, okay. uh, that there's going to be a lot of uh, health impact, which I, uh, I think is, is not good.
5: Okay, thanks. We'll stay with us. Uh, we've got to take a short break for the news. Uh, we'll be back at three minutes past. Uh, a quick look uh, at the weather uh, becoming fine and dry. Top temperature around 27 degrees, moderate north to northeasterly easterly winds. Uh, the outlook... Sunny periods in the next few days. It's currently twenty-one degrees, humidity seventy
0: percent. HK.
5: And welcome back to back chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're looking at uh, updates on uh, COVID nineteen. And after about nine fifteen, we're going to be turning our attention uh, to the uh, ban on well the forthcoming ban on the sales of e-cigarettes and heated tobacco products uh, we have with us uh, in our studio here uh, jeff bent managing director of uh, worldwide cruise terminals and also on the line professor benjamin cowling head of the division of epidemiology and biostatistics at the school of public health at the university of hong kong and uh, also joining us now on the line Um, Ivan Hung, a clinical professor at the Department of Medicine at the Li Ka-Shing Faculty of Medicine, also at the University of Hong Kong. Um, uh, So uh, good morning to you, uh, Professor Hung. Um, We were were talking before nine o'clock about the possibility of uh, giving um, vaccine uh, to younger people. Um, I believe you've uh, suggested that 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 could become a reality in the next few weeks. Uh, Could you tell us a bit more?
2: Yes, I think in the um, in U.S. they have already completed the phase 3 trial and uh, the interim report basically suggesting that giving one-third dose to adults, to uh, children between the age of 5 to 11, for two doses, uh, will have a more than 90% protection against the uh, uh, the COVID-19 uh, and with a very good protection against, especially against the Delta variant. And, um, Overall, it's very, very safe, and there are no cases reported to have myocarditis uh, in this age group. So um, we are waiting for the, uh, you know, the, the final report to come out. And I guess both the Joint Scientific Committee and also the Expert Committee will uh, discuss this uh, in the next few weeks, and hopefully we will uh, have the result very soon and able to start vaccinating children between the age of 5 to 11 with
3: pfizer uh, that. Sorry, did you say they would have one-third of the normal dose? Indeed,
2: yes. They need one-third of the normal dose for adults. Right. They need two doses.
3: Uh, people are starting to turn their attention now, Professor to to booster shots after a period of months, and then you also bring in the question whether well, it should be the same vaccine or, or switching to another one. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think basically switching platform is, is very safe, uh, you know, uh, regardless whether you're using the current available vaccine in Hong Kong. That means that you use Sinovac with uh, Biontech or Biontech with Sinovac or, um, or overseas if you, if you have other vaccines available, for example, the AstraZeneca right. or the, you know, uh, the Moderna vaccine. Then, of course, you can mix those vaccines uh, and it's very safe depending on how good the vaccines are, then you will have a better antibody response. Uh, the current, uh, of course, there are studies currently running in, uh, in Hong Kong, uh, you know, by, by Professor Bang Tarling in, in School of Public Health and also in, you know, another study that was uh, being performed in the Hong Kong Sanatorium Hospital. Uh, and myself, of course, are performing a study on the targeting on uh, patients who have uh, undergone uh, organ transplant or, you know, immunocompromised host to received a third-dose booster uh, of Biontech with uh, intradermal versus intramuscular vaccination.
3: Professor Cowling, how are we on boosters?
4: Uh, we got to look at the risks and the benefits. Uh, so, so every vaccine has side effects, and if we give out a large number of vaccine doses, there will be small numbers of side effects. Uh, we also look to the benefit that vaccines provide. Uh, they will reduce the number of uh, severe cases of covid uh, from a very low number currently to to an even lower number um, but we have to weigh up the risks and the benefits and as i said earlier i think we have to be very uh, uh, aware that the zero covid strategy uh, is risky because if we're unable to control covid in the community if we're unable to control a fifth wave there's going to be a lot of cases and a lot of severe cases and we're really going to benefit from a high vaccine coverage but if we're going to be able to control a fifth wave like in the mainland they've demonstrated again and again they can control covid outbreaks then it may be premature to give out third doses because we may value the protection more if it's available at a later date given that we, we can't keep giving people vaccine doses
5: I suppose um, what we want to know is uh, how long do the vaccines last for? I mean, I mean, for some of us, we got vaccinated more than six months ago. And then you hear stories about, uh, you know, the uh, levels of antibodies that uh, start to decline after a certain period. Um, do, do you have any idea of any sort of timetable when we might have to start, uh, you know, rolling out booster shots? Well,
4: in other parts of the world, I think they've looked at about six months as a, as a reasonable interval for the third dose. Um because there is evidence of waning by that point. But some of the loss in vaccine effectiveness is not because of waning in antibodies or waning in protection. It's because of the change in the virus to the Delta variant. And it may be that in, in a few months' time, there'll be a different variant. It may also be vaccines will get updated so that they cover any variants better. So if we give out third doses now with the original virus, um I, I don't know, I just feel like in three months or six months or 12 months, we may look back and think we should have waited a little bit because we didn't need to do that. Um, there were risks as well as benefits of vaccination. We, we've heard reports of lots of different kinds of side effects that have occurred. Um, and maybe in the future, we'll, we, we will need the protection more than we need it today.
3: All right. And you like the idea also, if we do go down that route of uh, changing the kind of vaccine?
4: I think we've got to look at it carefully to make sure it's safe and so far there's no indication that it's not safe. Uh, It may be a good idea. There may be actually immunological advantages to doing that in either direction. There may be advantages to switching the vaccine technology Um, but as I said I think the timing is the key question right now rather than the the choice Um, and for the timing I'm just concerned that that it may be premature to do it now given that we're not expecting uh, any COVID cases in, in the coming months or at least at most a low number, because we're we're expecting the government will be able to
2: control the fifth wave.
5: Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, Pro- Professor Hung, would you like to uh, add to that?
2: Yes. I, in general, I agree with uh, what uh, Professor Eggtoning has just said. But overall, I think the importance are that there are different cohorts of people, different cohorts of patients, that perhaps they will need an earlier booster. Uh, for example, who are those who are in the elderly group? Uh, you know, about the age of. Seventy. That, uh, like influenza vaccination, the antibody tends to drop uh, much quicker. And in fact, the earlier you know, the initial response could also could be lower. Uh, the same applies for patients who are immunocompromised, who have, uh, for example, you know, they have uh, uh, undergone organ transplantation, or they have had, uh, re- they're receiving chemotherapy, or patients who are on the, uh, dialysis, or they have receiving biologics. So patients who are on these immunosuppressive agents, then they again the response will be weaker, and that they will need a earlier booster dose. Mm.
5: Okay, uh, another email here from listener Alan says uh, uh, regarding going slow with uh, vaccinating because uh, we don't have COVID. In Australia, early this year, the PM felt the same. There were many days with zero infections, so he thought he could take his time, so the vaccine rollout was slow and halted for a while with concerns about AstraZeneca side effects. Then came Delta, and there were soon thousands of infections per day, dozens of deaths, cities locked down for months, and a frantic vaccination campaign to try to beat it down. This has been successful, but at a huge cost. So complacency at zero COVID is foolish. Until you have a 90% vaccination, it can go bad very quickly. Um, Obviously different uh, places are dealing with uh, the pandemic uh, differently in their own ways, but uh, 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 how about that um, uh, Professor Hung? Um, um, Do we need to have a 90% uh, vaccination rate in order to consider ourselves uh, safe?
2: Well, right now, I think with the Delta variant, uh, with a, you know, a very, very high transmission rate, basically, we are not talking about 90%. You know, studies have been showing that you need 130%, meaning that you need the entire population vaccinated, plus 30%, you know, uh, with a booster. So basically, uh, there's no point of talking about how many percentage need vaccinated. We, We need to get as many people vaccinated as possible. That is the aim. And currently, I think in Hong Kong, we need what we need to focus on is vaccinating the elderly, especially those about the age of 70 uh, who have currently a very low vaccination rate. And we need to basically push that up uh, as high as possible uh, Mm -hmm. before, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, before we talk about booster, because these are people who have not even been vaccinated with the first
5: two doses. We've been talking on this programme and on other programmes uh, for months about the low vaccination rate among the elderly, and, and uh, it seems that uh, the Hong Kong's still to come up with an answer about how to improve it. I mean, we've tried outreach programmes and so on, um, free bags of rice. Um, but, uh, uh, do, you have, do you have any thoughts about you know, how we can improve the vaccination rate, particularly among older well, people?
2: certain measures have uh, is proven to work even gradually but for example that you know uh, you can get vaccinated straight away uh, after being seen at the general or specialist outpatient clinic at the hospital authority and that seems to work very well because uh, the patient will, you know uh, or the elderly especially uh, after being seen and explained by the doctors the importance of vaccination they will be convinced to get the vaccine straight away and they don't they don't need to wait they don't need to you know, get registered on the, on, on the system. Uh, that is one way. The other way, of course, we have been talking about is that those who can, you know, you can have your flu jab together with your COVID vaccine, and that again has been uh, approved by the WHO. Uh, other things, of course, uh, need you know further education, and of course, not only the 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 elderly is the, the the relative, the close relative of the elderly, has to be convinced that you know they could, uh, you know. Uh, recommend uh, the elderly or the parents or grandparents to get vaccinated, and that will be very important. Huh. And the last, of course, is that if you, you know, uh, you, you, you you might be, you know, you you, you you could suggest to them that you know, uh, if, we, if you're not going to get vaccinated in the next month or two months, then you know, if we are going to gradually ease the infection control measures, then the Delta variants or the other, you know, the the, the COVID is going to come in, and then uh, you will get vaccinated, you, you will get infected, and you could have complications and die from the infection. And that will, of course, in a in certain way, you force the elderly to get vaccinated. The other way, of course, is that you, you make it so difficult for them that, you know, they need to get tested very frequently, they can't go to certain places uh, without vaccination, then again, that will force them to get vaccinated.
5: Okay. Uh, uh, Professor Hung, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I understand that you have to leave now, so uh, good of you to join the program there. Ivan Hung, clinical professor at the Department of Medicine at the Li Ka Shing Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. Um, um, Jeff Bent, uh, you're still with us. Um, um, Jeff Bent is managing director of uh, worldwide cruise terminals. uh, we talked a bit earlier about uh, the, well, the cruises to nowhere, as they're called. But um, um, is the industry making any plans now for what to do um, after the situation improves and the pandemic recedes? Or?
6: Amazingly, in many parts of the world, um, cruise has has resumed and, um, you know, are, are going on international itineraries calling around um, the Caribbean and Mediterranean and, and Northern Europe. And um, for, for the most part, uh, most of the cruise lines require um, 100% vaccination. Um, some of them allow children. Some of them do not. Um, but the experience has been that um, they're, they're, they don't have any issues. It's not that there's zero cases. Occasionally, they'll find one person. But if everybody's been, been vaccinated, even the people sharing the cabin with them don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, become ill as as a result, so it's been quite manageable. So
3: we're not going to go back to the situation where ports didn't want cruise ships to come in.
6: No, no, I think I think that's been resolved in in much of the world. So increasingly now, you know, after after Europe and and North America have have opened up, we're seeing countries in in South America and uh, also South Africa opening up to for international itineraries. It's um, it's recovering quite well. But we're not, of course, receiving cruise ships. No, no. Asia, Asia is recovering more slowly than, than other places. I think a lot of the industry hopes to be running at about 75% of pre-COVID capacity by the end of this year or so. And then um, presumably next year, there will be further gains on that.
5: Okay, okay. Um, there's a comment uh, here on our Facebook page uh, from Kim. Um, perhaps um, um, uh, Professor Cowling, are you still with us? Yep. Perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, I could ask you to respond to this. Kim says, uh, "May I ask how uh, Hong Kong is deciding on the dosage for five to eleven-year-olds?" Um, brackets one-third, and 12 to 17-year-olds, brackets uh, half a dose, question mark. Seeing that we don't have COVID, what data do we have that overrides that of other countries?
4: So in Hong Kong, we'll just follow the dosage that's being used uh, in, in other parts of the world, and particularly the dosage that was used in the clinical trials. And so for 12 and up, the dose that was used in clinical trials was a full dose, And for age 5 to 11, for the BioNTech vaccine, the dose that was used was a one-third dose. That's what they looked at in the clinical trial, and it worked quite well. Uh, I am bemused why 11-year-olds get one-third of a dose and 12-year-olds get a full dose. I wonder why it's not something like two-thirds of a dose at at that point. But that's the way that BioNTech have decided to do it. And I'm actually quite happy that smaller doses are being used because uh, having smaller doses means you can give vaccine to more people. Um, and I, I think that's something that should have been considered more widely, not only for, for younger children, but more widely
7: in the pandemic so far.
3: While we're talking about using maybe the opportunity of the flu shot uh, to help boost the vaccination for COVID, what is the normal take-up though for the flu shot?
4: Uh, in older adults it's about 50%, percent five zero, and in the population as a whole it's about 15%, 1-5%. So it will help with the elderly, um, but I'm not I'm not sure if it's going to solve the issue, but I, w- I would like to make one other comment while I'm while I'm speaking. That that I I, I, I like the, the earlier comment that you ran out about Australia's complacency and how they they should have really uh, got the vaccination coverage up more more highly more quickly. Um, but but I'm not sure that complacency is the issue here in Hong Kong. I, as I said, that the zero COVID approach is risky. If the government's going to be able to control COVID when it comes into the community. That's great, and we don't need to worry about vaccine coverage. But if the government is is concerned that it's not able, or if other experts are concerned the government is not going to be able to control COVID when it comes back, and therefore we need a high vaccine coverage as soon as possible, then I I would raise a question about the sustainability of the zero COVID approach full stop, if we're worried that we're not going to be able to control an outbreak when it comes. Because as you saw in Australia, Singapore, New Zealand, each of them were, were, were preempted by the virus. They, they planned out their exit strategy very carefully. The virus came in, they couldn't stop it. And they had to, to relax more quickly than they wanted to. And in Hong Kong, I, I, I hope the government will be able to control an outbreak when it starts. It will happen sooner or later. If we can't control it, then, then it's going to be a big problem.
5: Okay, uh, um, Professor Cowling, are you, are you able to stay with us for a few more minutes? Because uh, sure. a bunch of e- emails have just landed, um, <laughs> and uh, 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 some of them are addressed uh, directly to you, actually. So, um, so Alonzo writes, uh, please ask Professor Cowling uh, if we do have a fifth wave. How many cases does he think Hong Kong will have? As many as ten thousand? Question mark.
4: Oh, that, that's really difficult to predict. I think. What will happen if a fifth wave starts is most likely the government will, will try the same measures that, that were used in the fourth wave, which were only barely enough to control the fourth wave. Um, but they may not be enough to stop the fifth wave. Maybe, but p- most likely not. And then we'll have to switch to the more aggressive approaches, the more stringent approaches used in uh, cities in the mainland and also in Macau uh, in recent months with complete lockdowns and, and mass testing for everybody. And in preparation for that, um, the government may may be interested to introduce the health code app because that's the mechanism which allows them to, to do mass testing of, of the entire population of a city uh, with high compliance.
5: Okay, okay, and, and this one from uh, Mike says, uh, can Professor Cowling comment on the fraudulent use of the PCR test at greater than... 30 cycles of PCR. Apparently, Hong Kong has been using a cycle threshold of 40 cycles. Also, any comment on heavily vaccinated countries like Israel and UK having the majority of COVID hospitalizations and deaths occurring in fully vaccinated people? That's, uh, that's from Mike. Fr- I have to confess, I don't quite get the first part of his question. but uh,
4: yeah, the, yeah. the first part, I can't, I'm not a laboratory technician, mm. Mm. so I, that, that's not my area of expertise. Um, but I do know that the PCR being used in Hong Kong is very, very sensitive. And as we've heard, that, that means we do pick up re-positive cases, which are, cause a lot of panic, but, but maybe unnecessarily so, because they're, they're not new infections. In terms of the, the issue of lots of hospitalisations in vaccinated people, that's what happens when you have very high vaccination coverage in older adults particularly. If the vaccine coverage is is 90% in, in people over the age of 70, as it is in, in the UK and Israel, then of course the majority of hospitalisations that occur in that age group will be in, in, in people who are vaccinated because there's not so many unvaccinated people left in the population anymore and vaccines are not 100% effective. And also remember there's some people getting hospitalised Uh, with COVID rather than because of COVID. And so there's some older people that go into hospital for other reasons, uh, but they have COVID at the time because they've got an infection in their community. So I think it's it's misleading to judge the effectiveness of COVID uh, just based on... Is that one of those uh, traps
3: of statistics where people make a false uh, association from them?
4: uh, The the, the first part is, is called symptoms paradox, where if you look on the aggregate you have to be careful because in each of the subgroups there can be a different effect. So listeners can Google Simpsons paradox. Uh, But for the the other issue, I I would like to mention that the hospitalization statistics reflect people that are hospitalized and test positive for COVID. The COVID may not be the reason they're hospitalized in every case. And so we do have to be careful that in, in every country in the world, there's a lot of older people going into hospital every day. And if there's COVID in the community, some of those older people will have COVID, unfortunately, but it may not have been the reason for their hospitalisation.
5: Okay. Okay. And just uh, two very short ones uh, before we get to uh, our, our final topic on the e-cigarettes ban. So so, so Doug writes, uh, I had my vaccination over six months ago and I'm having a trip to UK in November, given the COVID situation in the UK. Should persons like myself, 75 years old, get a booster and... Jackie writes, uh, "What are your thoughts on those who are going to the UK for Christmas? Would we not benefit from a booster, as it has been six months since my second shot?" Uh, ben Cowling, you'd
4: definitely benefit from a booster if you're going overseas, because there's a, then a much higher risk of COVID than you have in Hong Kong. But I think the, the question for policymakers in Hong Kong is whether the population of Hong Kong need the third doses. Right. Um, and I would separate out travel-related reasons as, as a separate issue where, where I'd strongly encourage getting a booster dose. But the policy issue would be if, if there's an announcement that you can only get COVID if you're travelling, then a lot of people are going to say they're travelling and go and get the third mm. dose. So it's, it's really a difficult assessment. And for mm. Hong Kong, the risks and benefits of vaccination apply here in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's really a difficult calculation, okay. in my opinion, for For the
5: third dose. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the program this morning, Uh, Benjamin Cowling, there, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong, and thanks also very much to Jeff Bent, managing director of uh, Worldwide Cruise Terminals. Thank you. Uh, And uh, for the last uh, few minutes of the show, uh, we're going to be turning uh, to the decision in the uh, Legislative Council. Uh, to uh, approve a ban on sales of e-cigarettes and heated tobacco products. Uh, we're joined on the line by YCU, who's a member of the Heated Tobacco Concern Group uh, Hong Kong. Uh, good morning to you, and thanks for joining us. Good morning. Um, so, you, you must be very pleased that uh, that this decision has finally come, that, uh, that these products will no longer be uh, on sale. I'm very pleased, indeed. Mm. Um, the
8: government has given me one... More reason to leave Hong Kong um, to move to, for example, England, where <coughs> such products are allowed.
3: See, so you are not in favour of the of the ban.
8: Of course, I'm not. The government's being very unreasonable. Many countries around the world, not developing countries, but countries like the U.S., UK, New Zealand, Japan, Korea, etc., etc., have approved the use of the product. The mm. reason being, it is less harmful than our conventional cigarettes if the government bans it it means that smokers like ourselves i've smoked cigarettes for last 30 years and i've switched to this new product for a few years and and the government is saying that no you can't you have to go back to the more harmful products Mm.
3: is it you saw it as a step down from um, smoking the full blast tobacco
8: i'm not an expert but if you look at other countries, the UK for example, Public Health England, which is the health authorities, have stated quite clearly that based on current knowledge, I'm quoting this statement, um, vaping, which includes um, heated not burn and new tobacco products, is at least 95 percent less harmful, and therefore, in 2018, the UK government approved the sale and use of such products. The U.S. FDA had a similar position, and they have agreed the marketing of such products in the U.S. since two years ago. So I don't know why Hong Kong is taking a very different uh, position. Well, I hope this will change because in New Zealand, um, which banned the product a few years ago, uh, is moving towards legalising it in the last few years based on new evidence and so on.
3: Because some people, of course, see it as a Step towards smoking the full, full product?:
8: Well, again, uh, there's no point arguing this to the other, except looking at statistics. If yeah. you look at the UK um, and Japan as well, which have Japan has a long history more than um, six, seven years of using this product, the product, there was no uptick or increase in smoking rate. In fact, conventional cigarette sales have gone down by almost a third since
5: the launch of this new product it wasn't a unanimous vote of course in the legislative council there were dissenting voices uh, it was argued that uh, I'm, since, I'm, since, I'm since dissenting.
8: voices have left
5: the electrical. Well, I, 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 there, okay, there were 32 votes in favour of the bill, three against and two abstentions. So, so I mean, it it did have uh, overwhelming support. However, it was wow. argued that because we're, cause we're not banning conventional cigarettes, uh, so uh, why are we banning heat not burn cigarettes? Uh, it, Absolutely. Something that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that, that's well, I hope, the government, yeah. I hope the government would
8: follow what the mainland China is doing, which is researching the subjects rather than have an outright ban, and if, if that day comes, I will probably come back from England.
3: <laughs> but shouldn't we uh, make... The other way of making it consistent, of course, is to ban cigarettes as well.
8: No, that that is simply not practical, and just look at what happened in the US uh, when you banned alcohol. Yes,
3: prohibition, prohibition. was not a, a big <laughs> success. They had to amend the Constitution again Absolutely. after that.
5: Uh, but the authorities here do talk about uh, working towards a, a tobacco end game. Um, is that that's that's something that you would uh, advise against?
8: No, I'm not advising against. Mm. I'm saying that they are just putting in front of them an, an unrealistic and an impossible
5: target. Mm. Just, just, just sort of empty Uh mm. And. Um, Okay, uh, well, uh, we've come to the end of the programme. Actually, it's 9.30 already. Thank you very much uh, uh, for joining us uh, there. That was uh, YCU, a member of the uh, Heated Tobacco Concern Group uh, Hong Kong. Um, Thanks to all our listeners who wrote in this morning and thanks to uh, our other guests on the COVID updates uh, just before. uh, uh, Thank you very much to you, you, Mike. Of of course, course the only only person here who is over 70. Right, right, right. Okay. A uh, quick look at the weather before we go to the new summary in Morning Brew. Uh, becoming fine and dry. Top temperature will be around uh, 27 degrees, moderate north to northeasterly winds, occasionally fresh offshore at first. The outlook: sunny periods in the next few days. It's currently 22 degrees, humidity 72%.
9: Have you received influenza vaccination and COVID-19 vaccination? Both are equally important. Getting influenza and COVID-19 at the same time may lead to more serious illness. Receiving the flu jab may reduce the chance and length of staying in hospital. Protect yourself and those around you. Get both jabs early. Keep influenza away. Get the jab every year. Please visit chp.gov.hk.
5: The news summary with Vicky Wong.
9: Liberal Party leader Felix Chung says he hopes the Legislative Council can be more productive in its seventh term, which starts next year. He told RTHK the current LegCo term, which ends on Wednesday, was bogged down by filibustering from opposition lawmakers who eventually resigned en masse or were disqualified. Mr Chung rejected suggestions that the loss of opposition lawmakers might not be healthy. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, says she plans to resume work today, a week after she fell and fractured her elbow. Mrs Lam was discharged from hospital last Tuesday following a fall on the stairs at Government House the previous night. Writing on social media, Mrs Lam said it would take time and physiotherapy for her to fully recover. And the mainland's National Health Commission says about three-quarters of China's population has now been fully vaccinated against COVID. It says nearly 1.07 billion people have now been inoculated and that as of Saturday, just over 2.24 billion doses had been administered. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock.
0: Stand by for the brew.
7: Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume designer, interpreter of Beethoven and oh, also shy, quiet and retiring Doggy Council, co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. Uh, this is a really for adults, it's not really for cats. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. F-
9: Good morning. Interviews and also observations.
7: Absolutely no way.
9: On your
1: radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew.
7: Very good morning to you. Welcome to Monday. Brand new week and all. Here in the morning brew. Well, because it's Monday, that means Robbie McRobbie's going to get things rolling at 10.10 with his weekly rugby update. And after that, New York correspondent Tracy Kwan will be joining us from the Big Apple for this week's news, books, and that shocking Hollywood mishap a few days ago. After 11.30 today, we're going to catch up with the westbound rower. That is Erdan Erich. He's now 10 days and 500 miles out of Hawaii after a little stopover, continuing his solo journey to Hong Kong. Join him and Ocean Recovery Alliance's Doug Woodring, who's the Hong Kong man in this project. And at 12.40, our man in Vietnam, Neil Runciman, will be with us live from Ho Chi Minh City. Neil, Erdan and Doug will be, hopefully, on Facebook Live. See the door. Dumb-